Welcome to Lead On, the program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my privilege and responsibility each week to talk with you about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the hands-on work of being a ministry leader. Now, if you're new to the program, this is not really a preaching or teaching program in that sense. It's more of an application program where we take the biblical worldview and good theological concepts and try to make sense of the hands-on issues that confront us as ministry leaders. And I want to talk today about a common theme that I'm hearing, not just in ministry organizations, but also among political leaders, corporate leaders, other nonprofit organizations. I want to talk about the crisis of trust in organizational leadership. But more than just highlight the crisis, I want to spend my time today on the program talking about building trust through organizational leadership. Now, this is a crisis. You can look at almost any internet survey or polling, and you can see that institutions that were once highly regarded, ministry, politics, even corporate America, education, you can see that these institutions have diminished significantly in the last generation in terms of how much people trust them and trust their leaders. How do you build or, in some cases, rebuild trust in organizational leadership? Now, we all know how vital this is because without trust, there's perpetual dysfunction. There are continual and habitual questions. There is significant doubt. And all of these things undermine productivity. Whether you're measuring that productivity in a profit margin in a corporate setting, measuring it in spiritual growth in a church context, measuring it by uh, various data and dynamics in a ministry leadership organization or a secular nonprofit organization, no matter how you measure outcomes, lack of trust undermines effectiveness in all these ways. So today, let me give you some practical tools about how to build trust in organizational leadership. Now, to get to these, I've uh, to get to these practical steps, I've done some survey work of looking at different books and articles written from both a Christian and secular perspective about this issue. And one of the things that really struck me, as I looked at secular materials particularly, is how often their language and their conclusions parallel what those of us who give spiritual leadership draw from the Bible. I find that a striking parallel. So what I'm saying today isn't just for church or for a ministry organization like the one I lead. What I'm going to talk about today will actually work in politics. It works in corporate settings. It works in education or educational or school venues. These five core practices for building organizational trust work everywhere. They just happen to have some pretty strong biblical and theological undertones. And does that really surprise us? Because the Bible is true and it speaks in all areas of life. And when it does, we can make those applications as I'm going to do today. The first step in building trust in organizational leadership is for leaders to serve people. Serve people. Now, because we're talking about leading and building trust through leadership, I want to focus on what that service looks like uniquely for leaders. First, some of these service dynamics must be personal. 
part of building trust is getting your hands dirty. It's showing up in the lives of your followers. Now, you may say, well, I have too many employees or too many followers or too broad of a constituency. I don't have enough time to get around to meet every need. You certainly don't. I completely agree. But you can meet some needs. So even a very large church pastor still makes hospital visits for his core leadership. He may depend on his deacons and elders and Sunday school and Bible, teach, Bible study leaders to make a lot of the other kind of contacts with the hundreds of other people that may come to their church. But he models that by serving a few people personally. And that servant modeling spreads through the organization and people respect and trust leaders more that they see serving. But beyond the personal dimensions of serving people, there is secondly the policy dimension. Now, leaders have the remarkable capacity to set policy for organizations and to do so in such a way that it serves not so much the organization, but serves the people within the organization. Now, I know there's a healthy need for a balance here, and I know that some policy has to be in place because law demands it, organizational needs mandate it. I get all that. But some other kinds of policy can be written and shaped to favor the employees or to favor the personnel or to favor the constituents or even the members more than the leaders. Let me give you an example. When COVID first happened and we went into this remarkable shutdown phase, especially here in the state of California where our two primary campuses are located, when we went into that shutdown phase, our part-time employees who don't get benefits and who don't qualify for unemployment in the state of California because they work for a religious organization, they were at great risk. We were not able to have them come to work, and some of them can't do their work remotely. It's kind of hard for a custodian to log in and do his job. You know what I'm saying? And so we had to make a decision. What are we going to do about people who are not able to work, who are hourly and only paid by the hours that they work? What are we going to do about that? We made the decision as a seminary to keep paying people like that for several months so that they had an economic safety net during COVID. Did this cost us some money? You bet it did. But it was the right thing to do. We had the resource. We could do it. And we decided to do it. We served people more than the institution, meaning we paid them for not working or for working minimally to sustain them, even though it would have been better for the institution if we just saved all that money for future needs or for big projects or for something else we might want to do in the future. But this is what I mean by serving people by policy directed toward their needs. And then, of course, another aspect of this is payroll, the third P, if you will, personal policy and payroll. Another way to serve people is to do everything you can to make sure that their compensation is fair and generous. I know it's really hard in ministry organizations to do this because we have limited resources and we're always stressed and we're always stretching them. And I totally get that. I've been doing it for 40 years. But I also know that people feel served not only when they see me personally meeting some of their needs and not only when they know that policy is being written that favors and recognizes and supports them, but also when the institution has the opportunity or when the organization has the opportunity, it makes sure that the payroll is as generous as possible to meet their needs and their family's needs.
So these are practical ways that you serve people as an organizational leader that builds trust with them because they feel like that the leaders are in it for their good, not just for the leader's self-interest. Second, a second theme of building trust in organizations is to model integrity. Now, I've taught on previous shows about integrity in some detail, and I won't repeat that today. But I do want to make just one key point as it relates to building trust in organizations. Modeling integrity is not the same as being perfect. This is a common misunderstanding among leaders. They think that if they make a mistake and admit it, that it will somehow diminish their leadership stature and people won't trust them as much on their next decision. That's really the opposite of what happens. When you make a mistake as a leader and everyone sees it, the best thing you can do is to step up and say, I made a mistake. I blew that decision. I took us in the wrong direction on that matter. I should have gone a different way. Admit your mistake. And when you do that, people will smile and nod and shake their head and say, yep, he or she really blew that one. But at least they admitted it. You know, I've been leading, as I've said on the program before, for about 40 years now, and I have made some unbelievable mistakes. I have harmed people. I have wasted money. I have uh, started programs that were ineffective. I have hired the wrong people. I have made some serious mistakes over the years. But one thing I've tried to do is when I've come to grips with that, I've tried to admit them. And when I've done that, it's been humbling, but it's really modeled integrity. You see, integrity is not perfection. Integrity is demonstrating wholeness or an integration, if you will, of all of your values and convictions. One of my values is that God forgives sin and new beginnings are possible. And I've discovered that when I'm willing to admit my faults, my weaknesses, and my mistakes, most people are very forgiving of those and appreciate the honesty rather than the duplicity of a leader always claiming they're right or having it all together. So step one in building trust in an organization, serve people through, pay, per, through personal policy and payroll decisions that you make. Second, model integrity, not perfection, but integrity means that you retain wholeness, an integration, if you will, of all that you believe in practice, including admitting your mistakes, receiving forgiveness, repairing damage, and moving forward. Third, a third practice that builds organizational trust is to practice humility. Now, this is uh, tricky, of course, in leadership because most leaders are hard-driving, type A, out front kind of folk that uh, get a lot of notoriety and can easily begin to think pretty highly of themselves. So how do you practice humility while at the same time staying out front, leading like you're supposed to lead, taking the responsibility you're supposed to have, uh, being the public face of your church or organization, and getting the accolades that go with that? How do you practice humility in that context? Well, again, I've taught on humility in much more detail in past shows, and I won't do that as well today. But I do want to just highlight a couple of things that demonstrate humility by leaders and I believe builds trust in organizations. The first one is to share the credit with the successes that you have. Share the credit, meaning that you talk about what other people do well and 
how much their contribution is making a difference in the entire organization and, frankly, how much you appreciate that. You know, I developed a discipline years ago uh, that I've followed very closely, and that is when I write my report twice a year for our board of trustees, I always highlight in a positive way the work of the four vice presidents who serve along with me. I find a way to single out an accomplishment of each one over the previous six months in a significant way that they've led and made a difference in the seminary. I do this with what ultimately becomes a public document because I want people seeing me sharing the credit. You know, as president, I'm kind of like the quarterback of a football team. I, I get way more credit than I deserve when we win and way more blame than I deserve when we lose. When things go well in my work, oh, everyone says, what a wonderful president. But when things don't go so well, oh, it's a terrible president. Well, any leader knows that we're not as good or as bad as the public generally says we are. One of the ways that I've learned to practice that humility is to give credit to others and to share the successes that we have, but not the blame for the shortcomings that we experience. When I share the credit, it causes the people who receive that credit to feel validated in what they do. It also motivates them to share the credit with the people they work with, magnifying and lifting up them in the work that they do. But it also causes the whole organization to look at the leadership and say, wow, he really doesn't think it's all about him. And while he may not have noticed what I did in the last six months, at least he noticed what the people who work most closely to him do and how hard they're working and how successful they're making our organization by their decisions. Share the credit. This is an act of leadership humility that facilitates trust percolating down through the organization. And a companion of that, very closely related, is a second thing that demonstrates uh, leadership humility, and that is to demonstrate and to practice gratitude to the people that work with you. I'm not talking about large checks to show how much you appreciate, although those are nice when they happen, and rarely they do, but nevertheless they can. I'm not talking about anything grandiose like that. I'm not even talking about a plaque or a certificate, although those are also nice and should be done when appropriate. I'm talking about just saying thank you. Just saying thank you to people who do the work which makes our organizations thrive. Saying thank you to the person who empties the trash. Thank you to the person who mails the letters. Thank you to the person who makes the phone calls. Thank you to the person who brings the coffee. Just expressing thanks to the people who do the work around you and make your organization or your church successful. Now, again, I think that plaques and certificates and even cash gifts are, are helpful, and I think they are valid and good ways to show gratitude and to show appreciation. But they're not necessarily the only way to do it. Some, way, some of the best ways are just the simple verbal thank yous that we hand out for the work that we do. When you say thank you to someone, you're acknowledging in that moment that it is not all about you, that you recognize that you didn't do it all, it's not all to your credit, you shouldn't be getting all the notoriety. You're saying to someone, thank you. Thank you for what you did that made this project successful. Thank you for how you set up for this luncheon. Thank you for how you prepared for that Bible study. Thank you for the way you had the child care organized for this event. Thank you for making sure the building was clean and ready to go and really was appealing to people who walked in today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you demonstrates humility in leadership. So recapping, 
How do you build trust? Serve people through personal actions and policy decisions and payroll allocations. Serve people. Model integrity, not perfection, meaning your wholeness comes to work every day, meaning when you make a mistake, you own it, you get forgiven, you move on. And then practice humility by sharing the credit and by communicating gratitude. And in doing these things, you build organizational trust. And then our fourth, demonstrate competence. Demonstrating competence means that the more good leadership you provide, the more people will trust you for the next decisions you're going to make. This came home to me very personally a number of years ago. I was a pastor, and I moved out of pastoral ministry into executive leadership, but I remained in the church where I had previously been the pastor. Now, I don't necessarily recommend that in every case. It can be effective, and in our case, it was very healthy. I actually remained a member there for 10 years, and the pastor who followed me stayed for 24 years, and so he, he was a, had a long and fruitful and productive ministry, and I was able to partner with him and work with him and support him, and it turned out to be a good relationship. When he came to our church, he was a young man. Uh, he had been a pastor, but of a smaller church. He came to our church and was immediately faced with some pretty significant leadership challenges that were greater than anything he had had up until that moment. He started making decisions. At first, he made small decisions, and they turned out to be good decisions. And we watched him over those first three years make a series of decisions that were all in our best interest, that were all right, that were all uh, very positive, and really raised his leadership stature in our church. His competence raised his stature and gave us greater trust in his decision-making capacity. And then... After three years, something really big happened. Our church had an opportunity to build its own campus. Now, up until that point, we'd been meeting in rented facilities, and we had grown to several hundred in that context, and we had said we wouldn't build for a long time because we didn't want to build too small and all of that. But without going into all the detail, the circumstances were arranged by God that it seemed evident to us that it was time to build our campus. The pastor took me out to lunch, and he rolled out all the circumstances and the -the behind-the-scenes things that were happening and all the reasons he felt like it was time to go forward. And he said, I know that you've been reluctant to build a campus, and you've actually led the church in the past to go slow in this area, but I believe it's time to build. And I'm asking you to pray about supporting this and working on the task force that actually builds the campus. And I said to him, I don't really need to pray about this. I We'll do it. I trust you. I want to work with you. I believe what you're telling me is true, and I'm on board. Well, I went home that day, and I had uh, dinner with my family. Uh, My kids were about 10, 12, and 15, something like that. And uh, I was telling them the story that I just told you about meeting with a pastor and about the building and about the change of direction and about his asking for my support and about my giving it. And my oldest son said, Dad, that that really surprises me. He goes, "You've, you've never really been for going down that way, that, that path, but now you've, you've changed. And he goes, well, why did you, why did you do that? And I said, son, our pastor has a track record of finding and following God's will. And every decision he's made in his first three years with us has been a good one. And because of that, I trust him. And until he makes a pretty serious mistake, he's got my trust, and I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to try to make him more successful than we've even been so far. 
And I remember my son just looking at me and nodding his head like in deep in thought, like, okay, I get that. I get that. And I looked at my other two children. They were kind of doing the same thing, like, hmm. And I realized what a profound moment this was in our family because our children were seeing how much trust mattered in ministry leaders. And while they trusted me because I was their father and I had been their pastor, and we had a good and healthy family, and they generally thought I made the right decisions, and so we had a good trust level, they weren't so still sure that this new pastor was as trustworthy as maybe their dad had been. But now they saw me saying, I trust pastor. I'm going with him. Why? Because he's demonstrated competence in the past three years on lesser decisions. Now we've come to this major decision, and I'm going to follow him. He has my trust. So demonstrating competence is a way to build trust. That's why those of you who are listening to this show that are younger leaders may need to go a little slower on some of your major decisions because you're still gaining the trust of your followers by demonstrating competence on lesser decisions as you make them. Now, that doesn't mean you can't make a major decision for the first 20 years of your ministry or anything like that, but it does mean that you have to carefully gauge how much trust you're gaining by the competence you're demonstrating and recognize that as your leadership stature increases, Part of that is people giving you more and more trust in the confidence they have in your decision-making. Now, if you're an older leader, a veteran leader, a more mature leader, it may be time for you to get on with it. You've earned trust. You've demonstrated competence. And now people are looking to you with a high level of trust saying, where do we go? What do we do? What do you want from us? I recently talked to a pastor that just turned 60. And he has a plan for their church to build a new major facility. And I spoke with him and said, Pastor, you you need to get on with this. And he said, I know, but I'm still building. I said, no, stop. You've been at your church 21 years. It's grown from about 50 to 800 in attendance. You you have the complete trust of your church family. You got to go. It's time for you to stand up and say, let's do it. And over the next few months, I saw a real change in him as he later came back to me and said, man, thanks for talking to me like that, because I realized I'm kind of at the peak of my leadership capacity right now. I said, you are exactly at the peak. Lead on, man. Lead on. So demonstrating competence builds trust. Some of you need to build more. Some of you already have it. Weigh that carefully as a part of building trust in your organization. And then finally, Building trust means that you must have a consistent commitment to your mission. Consistency of mission means that people see your decisions as being in line with your mission. And even when those decisions are a bit puzzling or a bit troublesome or even a bit challenging, they know that you always decide based on the mission and therefore they're willing to trust you because they have committed themselves to the mission You've committed to the mission, and there's a mutuality there that says, all right, I may not fully understand all that's going on right now, but I trust where we're headed on the bigger picture here, and I am committed to fulfilling this same mission as my leaders. Therefore, they've been consistent about the mission. They claim this decision is about the mission. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm trusting them as we go forward together. Five things that build trust in organizations. Serve people, model integrity, practice humility, demonstrate competence, and stay consistent on your mission. It's so interesting that when I read 
corporate books on building trust in corporations, when I read educational books about building trust in schools, when I read ministry books about building trust in ministry organizations and churches, these same five themes show up. Not all of them in every article or book, but over and over and over again, these same themes emerge. Yes, trust is low and diminishing in some sectors. We can rebuild it in our ministry organizations, in our churches, if we'll do these five things and over time watch trust build and because of that, impact increase. I know you can do it as you lead on.